0: Welcome to Living Well with Dr. Pegg, where psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark explores a variety of mental health, wellness, and safety topics and shares biblically-based psychological strategies for living well and staying safe. Now, here is your host of Living Well with Dr. Pegg, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark.
1: Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the program. You know, everyone's still talking about the tragic uh, shooting at Douglas Snowman High School and what we should do and what we shouldn't do. Uh, But I believe when it comes to school violence, of course, prevention's the best intervention. And my guest on today's show is Tamara White, and she'll explain an innovative approach to campus safety that's being used at more and more campuses across the country. And Tamara White is the Associate Vice President of Student Affairs at Community College of Aurora here in Colorado, and she'll share how behavioral intervention teams take a caring and preventive approach to handling reports of concerning or threatening behavior. But first, uh, today's show is brought to you as always by our sponsor SSI Guardian, who set the new standard in advanced safety education training and has the only program of its kind with an accredited CEU. And to learn more about SSI Guardian, go to SSIGuardian.com and tell them Dr. Pegg sent you. Well, I'm happy to be here with you today every Thursday from 1 to 2 Mountain on KELSEY 560 online, At drpegradio.com. And if you missed last week's episode or any episode of Living Well with Dr. Pegg, check out my program archives at drpegradio.com. And you can also learn about my personal transformation retreats and other upcoming events, as well as purchase my books, do something different for change, and doggy tales, go to drpegradio.com today. So preventing school violence is Uh, Top of mind for everyone, especially since the Parkland, Florida, school shooting tragedy. And everyone has their theories about what we should be doing and shouldn't be doing and uh, what's going to work best to stop an assailant in, in a targeted attack of violence. And on my show last week, we talked about arming teachers and many of the concerns that experts have about that. And we concluded last week that training and prevention are the best approaches and to help us understand what institutions of higher education are doing in the areas of training and prevention. My guest today is Tamara White, and Tamara White is the Associate Vice President of Student Affairs at Community College of Aurora here in Colorado, and she'll share how behavioral intervention teams are taking a caring and preventive approach to handling reports of concerning or threatening behavior, and preventing campus violence. And Community College of Aurora is the premier community college in the Denver metro area, and I would even argue in the state. And I'm a little bit biased, Tamara, having taught at CCA prior to um, retiring back in 2012 from higher education. So, Tamara White, you're going to tell us... uh, Prove and validate, yes, it is the best institution. Uh, Thanks for being on the show today. Welcome to the program.
2: Well, thank you for having me, Dr. Pegg. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's great to have
1: you. Uh, We met at CCA um, uh, maybe about four years ago. I started serving on the behavioral intervention team at CCA. We call it the care team and um, before we get into describing what a behavioral intervention team is uh, first let's hear learn a little bit about you your background in higher education you're well known in the state in higher education and what your current role is at Community College of Aurora because you have a new a brand new role
2: I do yeah uh, so I am from Colorado okay I was actually yeah. raised in Aurora mm-hmm. and <clears throat> excuse me I went to the University of Denver for my undergrad and I went to Western Illinois for my graduate work um, I did my graduate work in college student personnel which is is how I actually started in higher ed. Wow. And I've had lots of positions in different higher ed um, education types of institutions. And I came to Colorado. I came back to Colorado after having been gone for about 10 years. And I worked in the Community College of Denver. And then after that, I actually got to do some policy work for the Department of Higher Education. Yeah. And then I came to CCA and served in the Dean of Students role, which was a dream job. Wow. Wow. And I got to do that for about three and a half years, and then I've just been promoted to the uh, associate vice president role. And I get to work with Student Life, which Mm -hmm. is where our student clubs and organizations are. Mm -hmm. I work with the Office of Intervention and Conduct, which is where we do a lot of our case management for students that are struggling. Mm -hmm. I also work with our Office of Disability and Equity and our counseling services and military and veteran services.
1: So a lot of good stuff, and your reputation really preceded you. I had heard about you with the the state, Right. Uh, in higher education before you arrived at CCA and really have just done a beautiful job. Uh, It's very obvious and clear you really do care about students. And so uh, no surprise that this would be a dream job for you because it really is all about the students. It was. Yes, it was. Yeah, wonderful. And so um, now that you're um, overseeing and kind of supervising all these different areas, uh, you can really kind of make your mark on um, student life and and student affairs. It's exciting. Mm -hmm. So talk about... uh, your previous role, how we met and have interacted, um, uh, closely over the past, I think it's about four years I've been on the team. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so you previously chaired the care team at CCA, uh, what's called a behavioral intervention team. Uh, and I joined the care team, um, not long after the Aurora theater shooting. And I was teaching summer school in 2012, uh, Tuesday nights, <laughs> psych 101. And, um, The shooting happened overnight, Thursday night into Friday morning. And so when I returned back to class that following Tuesday, I kind of felt like we couldn't just jump right back into Pavlov's dog, you know, what we had been learning about. And I asked the students, how many of you were there or knew someone who was there? And out of 25 students, almost every student raised their hand. A couple of them were there. They had family members who were there uh, or they were in the complex, maybe not in the actual theater or they knew someone who was there. And so it really had a ripple effect, not just through our campus community, but certainly throughout the whole community and even the state. Um, but CCA CCA already had a team in place prior to that, uh, which later evolved into the behavioral intervention team. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about your role and what, what is a behavioral intervention team?
2: Uh, absolutely. I get to chair the team um, and when I came onto campus the team had already been developed Mm -hmm. and it was chaired by our case manager and I took over because I wanted to do more training more in-depth training um, more focused training and I really wanted the team to be Mm cross-functional I really wanted for all voices of the team to actually be involved in the conversation of how are we doing interventions for the students. Mm-hmm. So I took over and we started to do trainings, professional development trainings every month, um, almost weekly it felt like. Mm-hmm. And we actually started to make sure that we had enough uh, representation from across the campus to make sure that when a student came across our our desk that we knew what advising, um, contact had happened for the student what financial aid um, how had the student interacted with our campus safety had they been in contact with our counseling what about the office of disability and equity and so I wanted to make sure that as we were responding to these students that we really did have a comprehensive understanding of how the student had interacted across campus Mm
1: -hmm. and so let's back up a little bit and talk about well what is a behavioral intervention team kind of that's a generic name it's called the care team at CCA I never can remember the acronym conflict (laughs) assessment
2: assessment uh, response
1: and uh, empowerment empowerment excellent and so uh, reports come into the team about different things regarding students so what what is the role you said it's a cross-functional multidisciplinary team, and that's a real important characteristic
2: of a behavioral intervention team, but to what end, for what purpose? So teams were developed um, pretty much after the Virginia Tech shooting, and it was in response to the fact that the student, the shooter, had been in contact with several campuses, campus departments, Mm -hmm. but there hadn't been a central location for all folks to actually report into to say, I had a negative interaction with this student and so what we know now is that if we have a central location for all for the math department for the science department for counseling services for the office of disability and equity for all these different entities on campus to report into then we have a better chance of making a solid intervention to a student to help them understand like here are the boundaries here's what our expectations are and Mm -hmm. then here are some of the support services to get you kind of to the next place that you need to be and so that didn't happen Mm -hmm. um, at the virginia tech and so Right now, we have that, and yes. we actually have had that happen at CCA, where a student has had a negative interaction with a math instructor. They've also had a negative interaction with the science instructor. Mm-hmm. They've had a negative interaction with financial aid, and, all, and those three folks don't know right. that they're all putting in a report about the same student. Mm-hmm. Then we get that, and then we can, based on all those three, do an appropriate intervention mm-hmm. to help stop the behavior.
1: Right. Very well explained. I read on the... CCA website that the care team meets regularly to review, discuss, and coordinate an appropriate response and intervention to students exhibiting behaviors that are inappropriate or which constitute a danger to self or others. Yes. And so uh, I've heard it described as um, silos that uh, uh, students are operating Um, you know, they're living their lives, they're doing what they're doing, and to what end, perhaps, violence, or perhaps they're just acting out the distress they're in. Mm -hmm. But as they're uh, crossing paths with different people... Those people hold that information, and they're kind of operating in their little silo, their little realm, trying to resolve it. You know, probably the math professor in your example is diligently trying to use some classroom management techniques and pull the student aside and talk to them, and they're doing their own little thing in isolation, similarly with the other instructors or an advisor or a roommate, so they're all in these silos, and the behavioral intervention team in effect creates um, what I've heard described as a vortex or a funnel where all those, and I'm mixing metaphors now, all those pieces to the puzzle can kind of be put together so you Mm -hmm. get a full picture of what's really going on. Uh, You mentioned Virginia Tech. Um, Students had reported, uh, female students had reported some really uh, inappropriate interactions. He was taking photos, inappropriate photos of them. A roommate found some written information. He had interactions with um, counseling Um, but they were all making decisions and assessments about is he dangerous or a concern in isolation. Yes,
2: just based on that one Mm -hmm. incident. Whereas we now have all three Mm -hmm. and we can say, okay, now it's escalated because we have the photos, we have the writings, and then we also have the counseling Mm -hmm. and oh, this is problematic, what do we need to do?
1: Mm -hmm. Now the cases are not always that extreme, Mm -hmm. thank God. Um, So what would be some of the typical types of concerns that would get reported to the care team at Community College of
2: Aurora? We get a lot of the student seems depressed, the student seems down. Uh, We haven't seen the student in a while. Mm. and The student sent an email saying, I'm dealing with a lot of life issues Mm. and I just can't come to class. Um, We also get students who have had medical situations. um, And then we get suicidal students. Uh, we don't get a lot of students who are a danger to campus. Okay. Uh, we occasionally will get a faculty member who will say, I want this student out of my class. They've done this behavior that was violent, or maybe they um, were cussing, or maybe they were um, threatening. And then what we will do is we will have a conversation with the student before they get back to class mm-hmm. to find out what's the extent of this threat. Mm-hmm. And we were we've been trained by various threat assessment tools to see what is the actual threat. Mm -hmm. and what is the intervention we need to do to stop the threat. Right,
1: and and we'll talk more about that because I think a lot of folks are really interested in Well, how how do you know someone is dangerous, and what happens when they do make a threat? Because we saw that Parkland, Florida, at Stoneman Douglas High School, that was a former student, and others had had concerns to the point that he was expelled from the school. And so they did make reports to the FBI, and unfortunately, and they're even acknowledging, that ball was dropped. So we'll we'll get into more detail of how it can work um, at a college campus and some lessons we can learn there to apply to other um, community agencies or corporations. Um, So let's talk a little bit about um, some of the identifiable signs that a student might be in distress. You talked about them feeling depressed, um, possibly even suicidal. Some common um, reports might be um, disturbing behavior, inappropriate behavior, concerning behavior of some kind. Um, And we know that there there are identifiable signs when people know what to look for and they're empowered (laughs) to say something about it. Um, Describe some of, for example, academic concerns. Um, uh, Again, I'm reading on the website at CCA that um, there are indicators uh, academically, emotionally, behaviorally, physically, that we can be trained to recognize and um, even those listeners who are not connected to a college campus at all, I think these are still relevant in the workplace and just um, people that you know, family members, neighbors.
2: I think one of the most helpful conversations I had with a faculty member was what was the student's baseline behavior Mm -hmm. Um, so The student was um, clingy and had lots of questions and stayed a long time after class. And the instructor was saying, you know, I just really feel uncomfortable. And so I said, has this been the student's behavior since the beginning Mm -hmm. of the class? And the professor said, yes. And I said, so this is the student's baseline behavior. This is how the student interacts with you. Um, And the the faculty member stopped and said, oh, you know, I hadn't thought about that. Mm. And I said, well, when the behavior changes extremely, um, or changes a little bit, that's when we get concerned. Yes. That's when we start to say, okay, well, what else is going on? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing I would and, say. And
1: that's such a good observation because I... I often ask people, you know, are, is someone allowed to be strange? Right. Is someone allowed to be odd? Is someone allowed to be annoying without us in this environment today, jumping to conclusions exactly. and being afraid of them? And what would you say the answer is? Are, is a student allowed to be annoying? Yes, <laughs> or, they or strange? Yes,
2: they are. <laughs> okay.
1: And if they they're are. always annoying, always strange, that's actually should be a comfort. Yes. <laughs> this is their baseline. It doesn't necessarily mean anything until or if we see a dramatic market change.
2: Exactly, exactly. And we have lots of conversations with faculty about um, are students allowed to be annoying? (laughs) They are. They are. Um, We still encourage folks to turn in... reports, reports. Mm-hmm. absolutely and you know we'll we'll talk to the student and we'll have conversations with faculty as well about where's the borderline on when it's it's uncomfortable and not annoying anymore but mm-hmm. absolutely <laughs> yeah where we're, where can it be a, an educational
1: experience i had a supervisor when i taught at cca who used to say a whole lot of different types of uh, education occur especially at a community college and you might be able to educate a student who isn't aware of how off-putting their behavior may be. They may be wondering, why don't I have any friends? Why do I feel isolated? And that could actually be a presenting concern down the road where you said depression and extreme sadness. And if they just got the feedback from someone... Um, who who cares enough to tell them the truth? You know, you're, this behavior is a little odd, or it li- could be very annoying for some. You mm-hmm. might want to look at some strategies to interact yes. differently. Could make all the difference for a student. And it does. And our Office of Disability and Equity does that with students. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I'm speaking with Tamara White, and she's the Associate Vice President of Student Affairs at Community College of Aurora here in Aurora, Colorado, and uh, we're talking about behavioral intervention teams. With all of the talk about what should we do in K-12 schools? Should we arm teachers? Um, how do we prevent these attacks from occurring to begin with? Well, Community College of Aurora has a very innovative approach that's working, that's very effective, called a behavioral intervention team. It's called the Care Team at Community College of Aurora. You'll learn more about it when we return. Stay with us. We'll be back. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: don't trust your safety to just anyone. SSI Guardian is the only choice. Visit us at SSIGuardian.com.
3: What if a psychologist with years of experience wrote a book revealing secrets that therapists know but usually don't share? And what if that book provided effective strategies for experiencing lasting change? That's exactly what you get with Dr. Peggy Mitchell Clark's book, Do Something Different for a Change, an insider's guide to what your therapist knows but may not tell you. Celebrating 10 years in print, this self help classic shares critical insights to help you understand and overcome the three common barriers to change, heal your emotional pain and emptiness, and strengthen your connection to your true self and others. In the easy-to-understand, down-to-earth style she's known for, Dr. Pegg clearly communicates fundamental principles and strategies for change and personal transformation. Read Do Something Different for a Change today and have a better tomorrow. Go to drpegradiocom books to purchase your copy today. Studies show that safety greatly impacts student learning
0: and a teacher's ability to do what they do best, be it broken furniture, a leaking roof,
1: or more serious threat of violence. The 21st Century Safe School by School Specialty addresses school safety from the emotional, social, and physical perspective. Don't wait another moment. Call 877-878-5800 or visit SSIGuardian.com. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. This is Living Well with Dr. Peg. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, and I'm excited to be speaking at the Hopeful Conference being held at the Connection Church in Aurora, Colorado, next Saturday on March 17th from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. And the Hopeful Conference is hosted by Pastor Larry Thomas, and he's been a guest on this program before, along with his wife, Anisha Thomas, and also speaking along with me is Dr. Reginald Moore. And the Hopeful Conference will inspire you to create a clear plan of action to do something different to change your life and encourage you to remain optimistically faithful for a successful future. We'll be giving away some free gifts, including copies of the 10th anniversary of my book, Do Something Different for a Change. Registration is $25 and includes materials and breakfast. Go to OurConnectionChurch.com, click on Shop to register, And I also have a link from my website at drpegradiocom slash hopeful. Well, I'm speaking with Tamara White today about preventing campus violence and the role of the Behavioral Intervention Team, which is an innovative approach to campus safety. We're live in the studio today, so if you'd like to join the conversation and ask Tamara White a question or make a comment about preventing campus violence and behavioral intervention teams, you can call us now at 303-477-477. 5,600. And Tamara White, thanks so much again for being with me today in the studio. Thanks for having me. And how can listeners connect with you and learn more about Community College of Aurora or the Community College of Aurora care team?
2: They can certainly uh, come. go to the website. If you go to the directory, you can mm-hmm. find me, okay. uh, Tamara White. Okay.
1: And it's ccaurora.edu.
2: Yes. Yes. And a lot of people sometimes call us
1: ACC, which there's another community <laughs> college. So it's CCA. Um, community is our first name, as they say, right? Yes, that's All right. right. Good way to remember it. I'll have a link also to Tamara on my website, drpegradio.com, and if you want to share this interview with someone you know, or if you missed last week's episode, or really any episode of Living Well with Dr. Peg, check out the program archives at drpegradio.com. So, Tamara, we're talking about this change from baseline. is a really good. Uh, kind of rule of thumb for people to look at. People are allowed to be annoying. They're allowed to be strange. (laughs) They're allowed to be a little, and in fact, they are very often, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm saying they. I'm never saying I'm (laughs) strange or annoying. Uh, But we can look at changes from baseline. Uh, So we can say, yeah, normally, yeah, they're pretty annoying, or normally they're pretty talkative, or normally they're pretty quiet and withdrawn, and now I'm seeing a market change and we can look for those changes academically, emotionally, physically. Can you give us some examples uh, that that you
2: commonly see uh, that we could be on the lookout for? Sure, and uh, I'll be honest, when we see academic changes, we typically ask for, are there some physical or emotional things that are tied with that? Mm -hmm. It's not just academic changes, but we look in a change in homework patterns. Have they not turned homework in? What about test performance? Mm -hmm. Um, Has their uh, performance decreased uh, significantly or insignificantly? But again, we look for academic paired with physical. So has their hygiene changed? Mm-hmm. Um, is their clothing? Are they coming more wrinkled? Mm-hmm. Uh, we know uh, college students sometimes <laughs> come wrinkled, but more wrinkled. Um, are they being <laughs> agitated? Are they withdrawn in class? Were they participating? Are they not participating mm-hmm. now? Um, and then is it increased participation, but the participation is more angered? It's more frustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, emotionally, we're looking at are they unable to manage their emotions, Where AS BEFORE THEY WERE. Um, ARE THEY MORE sad acting so those are just some of the things that we're looking for and a lot of times things are paired hmm. so oh they haven't turned their homework in for five weeks and then all of a sudden they come to class and they're not able to manage their emotions hmm. so we'll get a report and then we'll want to follow up yeah. with the student
1: and so again it's really um, in in isolation any one change doesn't necessarily mean it may, means something but not necessarily that they'll be the next school assailant right. uh, but it's certainly something to inquire more about and often goes along with some other changes that can be recognizable. And, and the goal is not punitive. It's not to get the student in trouble. It's really taking a holistic approach to responding to these observations um, really in order to promote student success. And that's what you're all about personally, yes. professionally, and certainly what the care team is about. How successful is, is that approach?
2: It's very successful. And we, I have to say, our case manager is very good at this. Mm-hmm. And she really does look at it in terms of how can we be caring. Mm-hmm. And so when a case comes in, she's looking at, like, what else is going on with right. the students? So a lot of times it's there's housing or there's food insecurities mm-hmm. or there's something going on at home. Mm-hmm. And so how can we provide a resource that will help stop the behavior, but it's really how can we provide the support for the student to be successful? Right. So it's not punitive, and we do have to help explain that. So you're not getting the student right. in trouble. Right. Uh, you're helping to give the student an additional resource. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times what happens is we come in and we talk with the student and we find out, oh, financial aid hasn't been done correctly. Oh, um, they're they're homeless, or oh, they mm-hmm. have these food insecurities. And then we give them resources, and then the behavior stops.
1: Yeah. Wow. <laughs> (laughs) Wow. Mm -hmm. And so it really is uh, when I taught at um, other community colleges in addition to CCA and even have worked at the Workforce Development Center that is um, located at Community College of Aurora for Arapahoe and Adams counties, I used to just marvel at the kinds of barriers that students do overcome every day, that they can put one foot in front of the other and get up and keep moving, let alone come to school and try to learn with all of the barriers that they have. And so part of the intervention is helping them meet those needs so
2: they can be um, free to learn and be successful. It is. It's just amazing how many barriers there are, mm-hmm. um, but how well our students manage those. Yes. yes. And then at some point it gets to be too much and then we see some of these behaviors right. and then we need to step in and mm-hmm. we need to assist.
1: Yeah. And, and we've talked we a do. lot about on my show in the past resilience Yes. and that they have that ability to bounce back from adversity and even resist it to begin with. Uh, until it becomes just a bit too much for them to cope. Right. Now, um, the Department of Homeland Security has a, a mantra, and we see it at the airports, so if you see something, say something. Um, and CCA has taken it a step further, which I love, and has a whole campaign where you've added also, if you sense something, do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and often our intuition tells us something isn't quite right, um, and we we could even be wrong, uh, but some we're noticing something. So um, um, faculty, staff, other students are being empowered. Um, to really pay attention to their intuition and do something about it. Again, not punitively, but to try to help and support students. So really creating an atmosphere where, uh, or a culture where it's okay to report those concerning behaviors. It's not snitching. The student's not in trouble. And they're often grateful that, that you're reaching out.
2: They are. We get that a lot where mm-hmm. they just say... Wow, somebody sent a report in about me and you're calling me? Wow, thank you. And Mm -hmm. I have to really give you credit. I don't know if you remember the conversation when we were talking about well, what are we gonna say? See something, say something, do something? And you really helped us to think through the sense something because a lot of times uh faculty and staff they do sense something. Mm -hmm. There's something in their belly, but they don't know what to do with that. And so you helped us to think about well, we need to put sense something on there too, because that's they need to tell us about that too.
1: Yeah, and I had read a book called The Gift of Fear that talks a lot about that intuition, um, that, yeah, we're picking something up that's associated with danger, and we need to pay attention to that. And certainly sometimes, um, I I know in the aftermath of the Aurora Theater shooting when I was still at CCA, um, uh, faculty sometimes took little things a little too far because they were scared just as everyone was. And Mm -hmm. so it is an opportunity to educate, but you never want to stifle uh, that observation and reporting that they're sensing something and maybe they're a little off but we still want them to report
2: we do yeah we absolutely all. so how are those reports made do they call or is it online how does that work so we have both we have an online system a reporting system where uh, faculty staff and students can go um, on our website and uh, part of our quick links is uh, report a reporter concern mm-hmm. and folks can report anything but we also take them over the phone in person um, you can send an email. We'll take them any way that we can get them. On a napkin? <laughs> right. <laughs> Not necessarily on a napkin, but if we get something like that, we'll follow up with the person yeah. and put it in. I will say our case manager is very good at at creating reports based on anything that she sees. Yes. So if she gets a napkin, <laughs> she'll make a report. Well, and, and that, that
1: kind of speaks to... Um, We were talking about Virginia Tech before. If a student were drawing something on a napkin or writing something on a napkin that was concerning, maybe drawing a picture of a gun or writing a faculty member's name and putting a big X through it, Mm -hmm. um, in a certain context, that actually could uh, be reason for making a report. Yep, and we would look into that. Yeah, and so would you encourage the, the person seeing that napkin to take a picture of it, email that? How important is it to actually provide facts or samples as opposed to on the one hand we're saying yeah if you sense something still tell us but uh we also want to balance that with not um you know not subjective opinions or biases or um you know jumping to conclusions but what what else is going on here
2: that's such a great point, and we really do stress this when we talk about reporting, to say give us as much, as many facts mm-hmm. and quotes and details as you can. We don't want the, I think this student is um, schizophrenic because, right. well, are you trained to de- assess? <laughs> Probably not, so right. let's stick to the facts. Like, why do you think right. that? So not
1: labels or not diagnoses, labels.
2: but what's the observable behaviors and yeah. concerns? And the impact on others. Mm-hmm. So we saw this, they said this, and then the other students did this. This is how it's impacting the learning environment. Mm-hmm. That's what we want to know more of. And the the piece of if you sense something, usually we can help folks tease out, right. what did you see, though, yes. and tell yeah. us more about their behavior specifically, and that you can get to the details right. of things.
1: And so that's part of the training. You talked about a lot of professional development for the team. And let's give a shout-out to the case managers, Angie Tiedemann, who's been a long wonderful. time Community College of of Aurora employee and really does a fabulous job. She does, uh, and so really a lot of that training is helping, you know, the inquiry uh, mm-hmm. p- process and following up. And then we'll talk in just a moment about a threat assessment and managing um, the different um, consequences. Uh, so after a care report is made, kind of walk us through what would happen. And and before I forget, let me back up. So. Um, this is primarily for uh, CCA students and anyone who might observe behavior and know that they're connected with CCA could go on the website. Uh, but I want to remind listeners that Colorado has the Safe to Tell program that uh, CCA partners with as well, 24/7, 365 anonymous reporting. And I believe it's safe number two tell dot mm-hmm. com. Right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And so, talk about what happens after these reports are made. They they either call or they. Um,
2: upload something online
1: what happens next
2: our case manager usually handles the process from there Um, But the care reports come to myself, uh, the vice president of student affairs, uh, Angie, and then both security officers. We have two campuses, Center Tech and Lowry. We all get the cases, Mm -hmm. um, mostly because if it's an emergent situation and maybe Angie's off campus or I'm off campus, somebody sees a radio show during (laughs) the middle of the day, that uh, if security see, oh, this student is suicidal right now or this is a threat happening right now, that they can immediately respond Mm -hmm. Uh, but generally the case manager will see the report and then will respond back to the reporter to find out you know what details um, do we need more do we have questions about do we need clarification on Mm -hmm. and then depending on if it's a threat to self or a threat to campus Uh, the case manager will contact the student and provide resources. If it's a threat to self or a threat to campus, then it goes to the care team. Mm -hmm. And the care team does assessment.
1: Okay. Well, let's talk about the difference between um, a lot of the disruptive behavior reports that you get that, you know, students are, some are younger and and maybe immature, but even some 40 year olds can be inappropriate and disruptive, but they're really not dangerous and it really sometimes is helping the person reporting, especially a faculty member, recognize uh, the difference between a disruption versus a danger. And again, my experience was right after the Aurora Theater shooting that um, people were on edge Mm -hmm. and and certainly even in today's environment with um, Parkland, Florida, a recent shooting, uh, people might be on edge as well Mm -hmm. and they want to know, is this person going to be the next, you know, school shooter or the next Mm -hmm. workplace, you know, assailant. And so people are on edge. How do we differentiate between um, just disruptive, inappropriate, um, or even acting out of their own distress versus someone who's dangerous?
2: I think one of the main things we look at is, was the threat direct and specific? So a student saying... Um, or let me
1: even back okay, you up. Yeah. Was there a threat? Was Because sometimes a you'll have someone thinking they're dangerous, but a threat's never been made. Thank you. But do yeah. they, po- they may pose a threat, even if they've never made a threat. So talk about what some of those behaviors might
2: look like if, in addition to a direct threat. So that's such a good point. Did the student make a threat? Did the student just stand up? Were they aggressive? Hmm. Mm-hmm. did they use foul language like what was the specific behavior um, sometimes we have a written threat where the student in a paper says I'm going to and they make a threat mm-hmm. um, but a lot of times it's there's vague language around violence mm-hmm. well that's not a threat mm-hmm. um, so we have to talk to faculty about explain to us where you see the danger
1: and especially the, the, you have to look at the context and the nature of the, this assignment maybe they're just sending an email and it has no context, but if it's in a written assignment, what's the context? Is it a creative writing class? And they're practicing using, you know, different types of adjectives and sentence right. structure and storytelling principles.
2: Exactly. Yeah. It's a lot to look at and a mm-hmm. lot to think about.
1: So they may um, they may not have made a direct threat, but perhaps may pose a threat um, because of the aggressiveness of the language, or it's even a veiled threat. Uh, we hear a lot of folks saying, I'm going to go Columbine on you, or I'm going to go Aurora Theater shooting on you. And they may or may not really mean that. may just be an expression of their frustration. Yes. Um,
2: But that still has to be evaluated. It does, and it is. And we have a rubric that we look at like what specific language did they use, Mm -hmm. Um, how do they have access to guns. There are lots of questions Mm -hmm. that we really ask. Um, And we will talk with the student. We will have a conversation Mm -hmm. with the student. And what we talk about is helping them to understand that this was the boundary and you crossed it and Mm -hmm. we need you to come back over here. Mm -hmm. And so we stop the behavior. That's what the intervention is Mm -hmm. about is stopping the behavior. Because sometimes what will happen is a student will cross the boundary and nobody will say, Uh -uh, Uh-uh, that's not okay. You can't do that here. And so they'll go to the next boundary. Mm -hmm. And so what we um, attempt to do is to say to them, uh-uh, that language, that talking about I'm the next, con- that's not okay. Right. You may not do that. Here's the impact of that, that language, that behavior, mm-hmm. and that's not going to happen here. Right. Here's what, if you were trying to express frustration, if you were trying, this is a better way to do mm-hmm. that. But that, that's not okay. Right.
1: So again, that's part of the developmental process and all kinds of learning can happen in a college <laughs> environment. And that might be something that the student has never been told, Uh, it's never been explained in this way, that this behavior, these comments have an impact on others. Now, there may be the cases, however, where they really do mean it. Mm-hmm. They really are upset and they really are threatening. If I don't pass, then I'm going to do this. Yes. Or I'm so frustrated with this person or this group of people is getting away with whatever. And they what are what, what are called injustice collectors. They feel they've been slighted and they're not taking responsibility perhaps for the role they may have played, mm-hmm. blaming everyone else. And they really do mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to go Columbine on them, um, what what happens there, we'll talk about when we return from the break. I'm speaking with Tamara White, Associate Vice President of Student Affairs at Community College of Aurora in Colorado, and she um, it oversees the behavioral intervention team at CCA, what's called the care team there, and it's taking a very uh, proactive, caring, preventive approach to um, assessing risk of violence uh, Mm -hmm. and addressing um, concerning behaviors, helping students to be successful and create a safe uh, campus environment for everyone. And when we come back, you'll hear more about how we assess threats of violence. Stay with us. We'll be back.
0: Schools are increasingly adopting 21st century learning strategies. However, safety largely remains absent from the conversation and fragmented efforts continue allowing for security gaps. Studies show effective learning can only exist when students and teachers feel safe. As the industry leader providing innovative educational solutions for more than 58 years, school specialty has created the 21st century Safe School, which aligns next generation learning best practices with proven safety solutions focused on the mental, physical, and emotional well-being
1: i'm dr peggy mitchell clark do you ever make changes but after a few days weeks or even months you slip back into your old behaviors and patterns if you want something different you've got to do something different yet most people won't do what's required to experience the lasting change they say they want why because change is hard it's scary and it comes at a cost if you're ready for change join me for a one day do something different for a change personal transformation retreat in this intensive yet intimate retreat, you'll learn fundamental principles and strategies for lasting change and transformation and craft a customized plan that you can put into action right away. Contact me today to schedule your own private VIP Do Something Different for a Change Personal Transformation Retreat. Go to drpegradio.com/retreat. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, and I've been speaking with Tamara White, the Associate Vice President at Community College of Aurora, and we're talking about campus safety and threat assessments. If you have a question for Tamara, call us now at 303-477-5600. And if you'd like to connect with Tamara or share this interview with a friend, go to drpegradio.com for the program archives and a link to Community College of Aurora where you can find Tamara White. And if you want to be encouraged and hopeful this year, join me at the Connection Church on Saturday, March 17th in Aurora for their Hopeful Conference. I'm speaking along with Dr. Reginald Moore. Just go to drpegradiocom hopeful to register today. So Tamara, we're talking about uh, threat assessment. Someone poses a threat where they've made a direct threat. It's not just them kind of blowing off steam and not realizing you can't, especially here in Colorado, you can't say things like, I'm going to go Aurora Theater or Columbine. Um, We take that very seriously. Um, So you determine, yeah, they are uh, um, making a a real threat. Um, They're at risk uh, for danger or um, potential violence against others. Um, What happens when you determine that, yes, this student is, is a true threat?
2: We escalated, it. Um, so our security would have been involved. Mm-hmm. Our care team would have been involved. And we would escalate it to the APD or DPD, depending on what Aurora campus. Police or Aurora Department, Police Department, Denver Police Department. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then more than likely, FBI mm-hmm. would be contacted as well. Yeah. So we we only go so far. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, um, we'll take it to the point where we're like, oh, we, this needs to be escalated. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's past our intervention opportunities. Yes. Okay, we need to yes. get the police involved. So
1: where possible. Where indicated, you educate the student hey, this has to stop. This is inappropriate for these reasons. Here's what's going to happen if you don't. Uh, But at the point they cross that line and it's a true imminent threat or a very um, serious threat, you notify law enforcement. Correct. And we see, you know, in the news after the Parkland, Florida shooting at Stoneman Douglas High School, there had been multiple reports made to the FBI. Uh, that uh, were, you know, looked at and not looked at. Some fell through the cracks, just weren't followed up with. But I imagine that if a well-trained, established uh, behavioral intervention team at a local college Mm -hmm. doing their due diligence contacts the FBI and law enforcement, probably they understand this is truly serious. It needs to be investigated.
2: That is the hope. And we know that our... Uh, our security has relationships with the police mm-hmm. department, and we're hoping the police department has relationships with FBI. So something like that wouldn't happen; that mm-hmm. they wouldn't take it seriously.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more about um, where it's not—it doesn't rise to that level of seriousness, but uh, in terms of danger and potential for violence. But the student truly is in distress. The concerning behaviors are kind of an expression of just how bad things have gotten. Um, there's a market change from their baseline. They're showing um, changes and even, you know, um, dysfunction, for lack of a better word, academically, personally, uh, emotionally, physically. Um, we talked about um, the case case manager Angie Tiedemann, um, who does a fabulous job. What What are some of the um, resources or um, processes and outcomes that are available when when it's not a threat of violence, but certainly there's some intervention, some support that may be needed?
2: We do counseling. We <laughs> definitely, we have a counselor on campus who's there for part-time. Uh, we would definitely recommend counseling. We can't um, mandate mm. counseling, but we would uh, recommend counseling. We also do the Office of Disability and Equity. A lot of times things are tied to things that are going on with them. Um, and then we would also do referrals out into the community. We have the Colorado Crisis Center right up the street from us and we've taken students there uh, several times to say no, this is something that you, we need you to see someone immediately mm-hmm. and our counselor is busy right now, but this is something mm-hmm. that we need mm-hmm. you to do. So what we would do is we would look at and assess what resources does the student need right now mm-hmm. and how can we get this Student access to those resources. Right. So, depending on what it was, suicidal ideation, you know, you can call 911 now and they have a team okay. um, of folks that are trained to deal with folks that are suicidal, and so we would have that come. Mm-hmm. Um, if the student is off campus, we would send, um, what is it, mental uh, health uh, check? Welfare check. Yeah, mm-hmm. we would do that. So, it just depends on what the situation is.
1: Right, right. And so, the Colorado Crisis Services was established after the Aurora Theater shooting and they have different locations. Around the state, and um, a hotline that folks can call as well. Yes. And so, conveniently, not too far from the yes. campus at Community so College nice. of Aurora. And yeah. so, when a student is truly suicidal, you can literally escort them um, mm-hmm. over there.
2: We can. yeah And we've worked out a service with a taxi company mm. where we can actually get a taxi Excellent. to take the student Excellent. there. so
1: Okay, good. So, there might be other referrals as well on campus to um, advising. Um, Uh, maybe some mentoring, um, support services s um, just to be able to give that student maybe some regular contact and accountability that yeah they really don't need to be taken to the emergency room mm-hmm. um, and may not even need counseling or may already be in counseling somewhere else but they still need some support on campus
2: and some accountability mm-hmm. so the case manager would really tease that out mm-hmm. and see and a lot of times we have students that come back through Angie's office and like they're regulars every two weeks They're once a month they'll come back through and talk to her and she really is Is a great resource Mm -hmm. um, but also a great support and so they come back just to talk to her
1: yeah good good and sometimes people are acting out all over the place just like we talked about the silos in which their behavior is being displayed and prior to a behavioral intervention team all those pieces of the puzzle would be disconnected Um, but now that folks are communicating Mm -hmm. they're acting out in different places and now there's a case manager who can pull all that together and say hey I'm aware you're doing this, this, and this, yes. and you need to talk to me first before you start uh, acting out all over the yes. place.
2: <laughs> it's quite nice. So, single point of contact. Mm-hmm. You've had to That's do that. the phrase I'm mm-hmm. looking for
1: single point of contact. That's mm-hmm. good. So, let's talk a little bit about uh, confidentiality and even stigma, because we know, especially with mental illness, there can be a stigma to go and get counseling, for example. Um, When someone makes a report, how much information, I understand that you're investigating, you're talking to the student, you talk to the person who made the report, maybe there's multiple reports on the same person, so you're talking to all those folks, but how much information gets even shared with the student about who made the
2: report and why, and how much information gets shared with the person making the report? That's a good question, and we have a lot of concern about confidentiality. Mm-hmm. Uh, we keep it as confidential as we can. We can't promise confidentiality, uh, but we try to keep it as confidential as possible. What we tell reporters is, "You thank you for giving us the information. Uh, now you have given us the liability. So ah. we we've taken the liability out of your hands. and You've given it to us. So so holding on to information,
1: especially someone maybe who's suicidal." Um, could potentially create a problem down the road legally, right. um, for for a duty to warn or something like that. So if that person making the report notifies the care team, now they're off the hook, so to speak. Right,
2: Mm -hmm. right. They've given us the liability, and we've been trained appropriately Mm -hmm. to assess those situations. So we are the appropriate um, place to put that. Yeah, yeah. So we talk about that, and then we, but we don't give information back to the reporter um, because again, we don't want to give that back to you. Mm -hmm. Let's keep it where it's appropriate. Uh, So we don't. We tend to not give a lot of information back. We'll talk about procedure, process. You know, we've had a conversation with the student, mm-hmm. the student will be returning to your class at this time, um, but that's about it that we give information back. Mm-hmm. In terms of other reporters, we don't share like, oh, yeah, we've had three reports for the same student. Okay. We don't do that. Okay. We just are. What information do you have for us that are going to help mm-hmm. us in talking with the student? Um, we have a place on the report that says, if we can maintain your confidentiality, um, anonymity, would you like that? Yes. And folks can say yes. But we also have to be really clear that sometimes we can't. Right,
1: right, sure. As you're, as you're talking with the student, to have to say, you know, well, it was reported that you had an outburst in class. Well, they know which class. Exactly. <laughs> and exactly. they may not know know was it the faculty member or a fellow student but they kind of can by process of elimination sometimes figure it out yeah Yeah, yeah. and so um, confidentiality where possible and um, to the extent that it it doesn't uh, get in the way of you actually uh, investigating uh, for lack of a better word inquiring and uh, following up and managing the concern as well okay great great now uh, you've talked several times about um, the training that the team receives and um, to be quite honest that's one of the reasons I I have remained on the team uh, for the professional development has been just fabulous for me personally and professionally um, and certainly is by definition an important part of how a behavioral intervention team functions Mm -hmm. and even a threat assessment team which is more narrow. um, Behavioral intervention teams are really casting this wider net. Not everyone who's showing concerning behavior will continue moving down a path or ever move down a path to violence. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when you cast that wide net, you'll catch the threat assessment piece of it, but also this preventative, caring, holistic approach as well. And so training is so important, uh, obviously, for the threat assessment piece of it, uh, but also for just helping students cope in yes. life and recognizing signs of depression and signs of anxiety and developmental issues when there's inappropriate acting out behavior in the class. Uh, so talk about the type of training that you all
2: um, are, are receiving. Our system, the Colorado Community College system typically has training for behavioral intervention teams at least once a year where a national organization will come and just help us to kind of uh, sharpen our tools. Mm-hmm make sure that we are remembering what it means to be a behavioral intervention team and what we need to do to help assess Um, they talk about threat assessment but then they also talk about how do we ask questions how do we continue to have inquiry Um, but then also we have taken upon ourselves to do um, equity training with the team so we talk about social justice type things and how is that impacting the care that we're having for our students Um, We've talked about, we've had a chance to have some of the local organizations come in to talk about what their resources are and services. Mm -hmm. We've had a wide variety, and this year we're having each uh, team member provide a professional development for the team, just to kind of shake things up a little Mm -hmm. bit.
1: Well, then maybe we'll have some of them come on the show and share that expertise. I'm always looking for... For new guests and expertise, so make a note of that. Wonderful. And so let's talk specifically about uh, suicide. Um, It's something we're all concerned about just any given day. But in the case of active active shooting incidents, a large percentage of assailants do commit suicide or allow police to kill them. They call that suicide Mm -hmm. by cop. We've all heard that that expression. And so for some of these assailants, the violent attack is their suicide method. Mm -hmm. So in addition to just being concerned about uh, folks who are suicidal, um, we also need to be concerned about suicide as an element of uh, these uh, violent targeted attacks at on uh, schools and, and college campuses. So talk a little bit about the importance of suicide assessment and intervention um, and the kind of training the
2: care team has received. Oh, thank you. Yes, we have received a lot of training. Uh, we went through assist training, mental health first aid, and it really did help us to have an eye for for looking for that with Mm -hmm. students. But I think it's also just made us a little bit more sensitive to what happens in a situation when folks are talking to folks that are considering suicide. Mm -hmm. Um, I know the ASSIST training was really good. We all came back thinking, wow, hadn't thought about it that way. This is really good, keeping Mm -hmm. someone safe for now. Yeah, yeah. So the trainings have been really good. What we've thought about is how do we get the rest of campus to be Mm -hmm. trained, um, to be able to be comfortable with having conversations with students when they are considering suicide. Um we had we went to a conference on suicide this Mm -hmm. summer, where they actually talked about that very phenomenon of uh, students using, not students, um, people using that mass casualty and Mm -hmm. then being killed as a means for suicide, and how that person was suicidal first, and then they did. Yeah, that was was just fascinating to think about.
1: And so that shows the value of this holistic, preventative, caring approach to a behavioral intervention team that encompasses threat assessment, it has this larger um, kind of scope, catching someone who's in distress before they even think about acting out violently against others as a mean to deal with their own um, distress.
2: And that is the hope. That mm-hmm. is really the hope. Mm-hmm. I think what the whole team is really about the prevention and intervention and so that we don't have to get to that point where we have to do something drastic, yeah. but that if we can catch that student at that, that yes. first Man. point yeah. of distress... Mm-hmm. and get them whatever resource they need, whatever happened, um, that we can just prevent a
1: lot of yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. And there's a model, the pathway to violence model that looks at the progression from a grievance mm-hmm. of some kind, mm-hmm. uh, which could be a, a grade, you know. Right. Professor looked at me, you know, insulted me, and that's where that equity kind of training might mm-hmm. come in is um, culture, awareness of cultural differences and how... Uh, Subtle communication, um, you know, differences can be maybe trigger someone. Now they've got a grievance or, you know, a perceived grievance, legitimate grievance. Doesn't matter. In their mind, uh, somebody's done them wrong. And how they now have the idea that violence is an appropriate solution to that grievance. And most of us have grievances in any given year, right? We'll have a couple, but we never consider, maybe we fantasize for a brief second about (laughs) socking someone in the nose, but we don't cross that line to the idea that violence is appropriate. No. No. And so if we can catch someone right at that grievance and help them solve the problem so that Violence doesn't seem like uh, that it's a a reasonable um, uh, way to to resolve this. That really is what the work is about.
2: That is what the work's about, and I really feel like... Angie, our case manager, does that. Mm-hmm. She does it very effectively. I mean, even to the point where let's look at this, these financial financial aid screens, yeah. and see, oh, we're missing this document for yeah. you, and that's what's holding up the financial aid <laughs> right. process. And oh, that's why you're angry yeah. and upset
1: because yeah.
2: you've been waiting for three weeks yeah. for, and let's get that done.
1: And we've seen um, um, uh, shootings of uh, of a financial aid um, personnel right sitting at their desk at a college a couple years ago. Uh, because of that grievance around money so if you just resolve that issue then you've prevented a violent act yes. yeah yeah and so let's talk about um, the CCA uh, behavioral intervention team has been so effective um, Would how could how what could you recommend for other
2: institutions or k-12 schools uh, would you say this would be good for them to adopt I would say a couple things. One is to look at who's on the team. Think about um, where students have the most interaction on your campus and think about having representation from those areas because it's really beneficial to have someone from academic advising mm-hmm. who can look and say, oh, yeah, this person interacted with academic advisor and it was a negative interaction so that and then I would look at trainings that would benefit the team. And don't think about just threat assessment. Think about like we talked about how we had equity training and how that impacts how we intervene with students. so think about well-rounded training that can help um, the the folks. And then think about the structure, like how are you having conversations about the interventions? Uh, What questions are you asking? Whose voice is not heard? Mm -hmm. Um, Those are, I think, three things I would
1: put out there. Outstanding, and the FBI released a report last fall saying that the best way to prevent uh, active shooting incidents uh, in the community K-12 schools, campuses, is to recognize behaviors of concern and have a place to report them. So they recommend a threat assessment, threat management team Mm. uh, in community organizations, um, corporations, government entities. Um, And so what you're doing at Community College of Aurora really is setting a model, uh, not only for other campuses, other institutions of higher education, but really for our communities um, that that it it encompasses even more than the threat assessment that the FBI is recommending. Oh, that's great to know, thank you. And so this interview uh, can be relevant for everybody listening, not just those involved with higher ed. Well, Tamara White, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so informative to have you on the program today. Thank you so much for being my
2: guest. Thank you for having me.
1: And listeners, you can meet me at the Connection Church in Aurora on Saturday, March 17th, 2018, for the Hopeful Conference. Go to drpegradiocom hopeful to register. My guest has been Tamara White, and I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, reminding you to live well.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this presentation of Living Well with Dr. Pegg. For more information or to contact Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark about her mental health or consulting services, please visit her webpage at drpegradio.com.